0: This is Faith and Fable. Pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often
1: controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry. You did this that is, well.
0: Well, my first time.
1: Yeah. Well, we saw what mine was, and, <laughs> and nobody <laughs> will ever hear that. Yeah. Well, this is different. Yeah, it is. We're staring at each other over a table rather than sitting on comfortable chairs with our friends.
0: Yeah. Mark and Lena have been
1: fired. Not really. No. And you will hear from them again. But we are also trying to mobilize our podcast, right? Mm -hmm. So that we can be able to do it wherever the fancy strikes us. Yeah. But also we're hoping to do some interviews like with Dr. Feinberg and Dr. Allison. Mm -hmm. Not that they know this, but... (laughs) (laughs) They don't know it's coming, but it is. But it's coming. Oh yeah. We will interview them. So, So this will make us
0: mobile. And flexible because we're getting
1: busy right yeah that's the real issue is we're getting yanked every which way yeah and um trying to have a set time was almost impossible because all of us are well you and i we're just busy that's all we can say (laughs) in fact we're getting ready to leave the country to go to the wonderful country of ethiopia and enjoy beautiful weather and interesting food yeah but I'm with you, so this means we shall be quarantined. Oh, yeah. And oh, all yeah. kinds of awesomeness is yet to come. Yeah, in fact, we'll probably be stuck on the tarmac <laughs> for four weeks. They'll be sending us MREs and stuff like that, you know, because they'll run out of the good stuff. And Yeah. you know, And, you know, bathrooms on the plane are always good smelling, mm-hmm. and pleasant. So, yeah, yeah, we'll see if we'll ever even return, but... uh we're going to actually do a podcast on that, but yeah. right now we're going to deal with homardiology or the doctrine of sin. sin and this which, is the first one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool because it, it's huge. Mm-hmm. So, we dealt with anthropology, um, and which is the doctor of man, and that normally the very next thing you deal with is, okay, so that's man, now we got to deal with the reality that sin dominates what him. plagues him yeah yes. so that's what we're going to deal with and i'll yeah so
0: it's it is a massively important topic um one that's just not talked about a lot but it's it's very important in fact uh jonathan edwards the great theologian called it that great important doctrine uh as a quote um and so in fact the better that you understand the nature of sin um, the better that you're going to understand just about every other area of theology. Yeah, uh, it's a topic that is, as we know, pastorally relevant. Yeah, it
1: keeps us employed. Yeah, everything um, we deal with ultimately finds its root back in sin, sin. Yeah. and then Christ, right? And
0: it's it's something that's applicable at all times uh, to the church and within culture. And so, the better that you understand sin the better you're gonna be able to make sense of what goes on in the world constantly, uh, but also obviously in your own life. Um, And so the greater that you understand it, again, you're gonna understand theology better, you'll interpret the world better, you'll understand the church better, and a lot more things will just make sense. Um, But beyond that, the greater your grasp of the doctrine of sin, we'd also argue the greater your worship.
1: Right. Um, In fact, let me read a quote from a guy named Clyde Holbrook on original sin. He says, I look on the doctrine as of great importance, which he's just ripping off Jonathan Edwards there, but uh, for if the case be such, indeed— that all mankind are by nature in the state of total ruin, then doubtless the great salvation by Christ stands in direct relation to this ruin as a remedy to this disease, and the whole gospel or doctrine of salvation must oppose it. And all real belief or true notion of that gospel must be built upon it. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good quote. Um,
0: In other words, though, the stronger your grasp on the greatness of sin, then the deeper your worship will be of the cross of Christ. Right, right. And, and we'll begin to understand for the first time, perhaps, just how great of salvation we truly possess. And so the weaker that, you know, your theology of sin, the weaker your theology of salvation, um, you will inevitably diminish his work. You're gonna diminish the work of the cross. You're gonna diminish the nature of his resurrection. Right. Um, in other words, you're going to altogether diminish the beauty of what it means to be in Christ right? right. and all those promises attached to that. And so, again, it's, it's an important doctrine, and we cannot overemphasize that, and we're going to probably draw that out a lot as we, we go along here.
1: So, having said that, with this doctrine, there's always some difficult questions that arise uh, regarding the sovereignty and the holiness of God, especially in relationship to man and his sin. And so, Grudem uh, gives some helpful introductory observations in his systematic theology. Um, I'll just read that. He says, where did sin come from? How did it come into the universe? First, we must clearly affirm that God himself did not sin, and God is not to be blamed for sin. It was man who sinned, and it was angels who sinned, and in both cases they did so by willful, voluntary choice. To blame God for sin would be blasphemy against the character of God, as Deuteronomy 32.4 says, His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness, without iniquity, just and right is he. Abraham asks the truth with truth and force in his words, Shall not the judge of all earth do right? In Genesis 18.25. And Elihu rightly says, Far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should do wrong. In Job 34.10. In fact, it's impossible for God even to desire to do wrong. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, according to James one thirteen. Yeah. Then he goes on. He says,
0: and yet on the other hand, we must guard against an opposite error. It would be wrong for us to say there is an eternally existing evil power in the universe similar to or equal to God himself in power. To say this would be to affirm what is called an ultimate dualism in the universe. The existence of two equally ultimate powers, one good and the other evil. Also, we must never think that sin surprised God or challenged Uh, or overcame his omnipotence, or his providential control over the universe. Therefore, even though we must never say that God himself sinned, or he is to be blamed for sin, yet we must also affirm that the God who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1 11, the God who does according to his will, in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing, Daniel 4.35, that he did ordain that sin would come into the world, even though he does not delight in it, and even though he ordained that it would come about through the voluntary choices of mortal
1: creatures. Now, we've dealt with this already. um, If you want to look uh, into this more, you can check out episodes we did on the problem of evil, and also does God have two wills? So those are the two things you look want to look for, and you're going to get a lot more data on those very issues. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to begin like we always do by defining our terms, and so we'll deal with the Old Testament this time, and next we'll deal with the New Testament. Yeah. So
0: some. Biblical terminology for sin. And again, this is how the Old Testament talks about sin or refers to it. And these, we're just going to work through these various words. And so the first one is um, how you, it's chata. You got to get the guttural. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, if you want to sound cool, you do. Right, right. That's chata. Um, <laughs> I feel like I should be doing karate or something. Anyway. No,
1: that's ki. Oh, well, or hayah. Hayah. Yeah. Well,
0: that's a Hebrew verb, actually, right? Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> technically. <laughs> anyway, um, th- so this word uh, is the primary word for sin in the Old Testament, and it's used approximately 580 times. Uh, you can get reference- references to all these terms actually will be in the show notes. We're not going to quote them all. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. Yeah, but when the, when the, this word is used in its verbal form, it simply means to sin. Um in in a specific form, though, it can also mean to sin against. Um, you know, various noun forms build off of this root and are con- commonly translated as sin or sin offering. Um, so, when you're reading through your old your Old Testament in the English, whenever you see the word sin or sin offering or sin against, right, likely it's this term behind right. that. Um, now, there are times that it has a non-moral meaning. For instance, in Judges 20 and verse 16, where it says that the men there would not miss with their slings. Um, and, and that's actually the basic sense of the term. It's it's the idea of to miss the mark or to fail to reach some kind of goal.
1: You want me to keep going? Yeah, you, well, you're the official Hebrew pronouncer, remember? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> well, the next word is ta'ah. And you want to talk about that one? Yeah, it's most commonly translated as to err or to go astray. Uh, So, in the New Testament, the common word for this is planao. Um, The term involves the sense that going, that the going astray is not by mistake or ignorance, though, but uh, but on purpose. And this makes the individual more culpable. There are times, though, that it will have a non-moral meaning, such as with one who is drunk and wanders about. as a result so that first term um you sin you
0: miss the mark it's not necessarily something you're consciously doing right um and so this is in this sense we sin all the time because you know i'm like i'm drinking coffee right now i actually didn't give thanks to god for this consciously (laughs) so in some sense perhaps i've missed the mark that's the idea of that first term this term is it's more intentional um it's it's going astray but on purpose and therefore as you said it makes. That individual more culpable. And then the next one even heightens that. Right, and these will just build. Um, Then you have avar, and this, the typical translation of this one is you'll see it like in Numbers 14, 41, or Jeremiah 34, 18, translated as to overstep, or even in some occasions to transgress, to cross a line. Um, When it's used in a non-moral context, it means to pass over or through or by, you know, sometimes it's used when israel's crossing the water or something like that um dirtlestone which is an interesting word uh name uh states that there is a reference to the the crossing over um of the boundary of right and entering the forbidden land of, of wrong for instance um is how he defines the term
1: yeah so now you're not just Error, doing an error, or even choosing to go the wrong way. But the, you, you know there's this actual place that I'm not supposed to be, and I'm transgressing into that area that we don't belong. Exactly. And then you have um, sewer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this one means to turn aside. But again, it has a sense of departing off of the correct path or way. So in Deuteronomy 9.12 or Psalm 14.3, you would see that. So at times you'll see this turning away in a physical sense. Uh, again, that passage in Deuteronomy 9.12, it speaks of the people making molten images for themselves. So they, they turn away from the true God and they begin to worship uh, the false uh, idols. In, and yet, that physical turning aside is always the result of first, an inward turning of the heart. And that's huge and important for people to understand. It's not merely that you, again, turn the sight outwardly. It goes back to our anthropology of the holistic aspect of man, that this all starts within our heart, and that's why our body ends up where it ought not to be as well. Yeah. So Jeremiah 17, 15 or Ezekiel 6, 9 would be that. Now this one is where you pick up the idea of apostasy. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, very strong and very negative yeah. term. You were walking right and then right. willfully
0: turned away. The next term would then be pasha. Um, this, the the verbal form is usually translated as to rebel or transgress. Um, the noun form translated as just transgression um, you'll see that in First Kings twelve nineteen, Psalm thirty two one. Um, so, for instance, at Psalm thirty two one, it says this: it says a, it's a Psalm of David, a masculine. Um, how blessed is he who whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered? Um, so here you get the sense you get the sense of joy that David has um, over the fact that his transgression or his pasha has is being for, forgiven. Um, it's not merely the idea that he's that he's overstepped a line, but that he's actually over overtly or openly rebelled, and yet at the same time, he's still forgiven. Um, so this is a, a much more high-handed or overt kind of sin. Um, avar, the the word that we just saw, it's that idea of overstepping. Um but this is a, a much more high-handed rebellion, right. Um, both are sins. Both are grave offenses against God, but the intent of the heart with this term, Pasha, Um, I would say is just, it's uglier. It's,
1: it's higher handed, so to speak. Well, yeah. And we see that with, you could just think about your children, right? There's times where you'll see them. It's like, you're not supposed to be in there, but if you watch them, they, it wasn't like they were plotting to get in there. They just kind of ended up in the kitchen anyhow right (laughs) and and you're like get out of the kitchen you're not supposed to be in there and then there'll be those other times where you see them and they're looking over their shoulder and yeah and they know full well they're not supposed to go there and they do it anyhow and so it's it again it's that willfulness and that high-handedness and that's interesting you pointed out because
0: it also speaks to the nature of kind of how sin works itself out um that one where okay, they're just going to kind of wander into the kitchen. They didn't have any intent. You then better understand God's commands when He says, "Be careful as to how you walk, watch yeah. yourself," because sin
1: is—it's this slowly creeping, and you're like, "How did I ever get here?" It's,
0: it, I past, didn't mean to.
1: Pastorally, that is huge, um, and and I know you you're seeing that. Um, how often I've I've spoken to men and women, and they're 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 just devastated, right? And and it's like, how did I get there? And and what they start to do is they look backwards maybe a week ago. And I'm like, dude, it wasn't a week ago. <laughs> um, it, you know, it was, you weren't watching your heart, right? You weren't guarding your heart. You weren't watching the paths upon which you were walking. And you were on something that you thought was nice and safe and wide, and you wouldn't wander from it. But um, it was choices after choices. Some For some people, it was choices made years earlier mm-hmm. that just set into motion new choices and new consequences so yeah it's a it's a great word picture and uh, again it it speaks to that need for us to be constantly uh, suspicious of our own hearts um, i remember my old professor d.a carson
0: said sometimes ultimately apostasy at times but a lot of times people who waver in the faith or wake up one day and just decide i don't believe this it wasn't an overnight or an intellectual decision in the moment it was over the course of five years ten thousand decisions all of them bad is what he'll say and
1: it's very true well and that's why i think one of the more discouraging aspects of being a pastor is how often you give counsel um and are trying to help them make biblically biblically aware decisions and wise decisions and and because you don't have an overt Bible verse that says, no, you shouldn't, but your counsel is nonetheless given and ignored, mm-hmm. um, and then you you watch—well, you and I have talked about how we, we've watched people where it's just a slow-motion train wreck, um, right? It's just yeah. sad to watch where you're yep. like, man, the train has left the tracks, but nobody's even aware that it's left the tracks, and unless something radical changes, um, it's going to be an ugly, ugly wreck down mm-hmm. the road so yeah so pasha though pasha is that it isn't that series of
0: decisions it's that one you know this is wrong and in the face of that this will
1: be a high-handed i'm choosing this yeah yeah so it's a spiritual rebellion yeah right right so that there's some uh synonyms go ahead and deal with those sure um so the, the, f- the first synonym of Pesha is Murad, um
0: often just translated as rebellious ezekiel 2 3 it up nicely it says then he said to me son of man i am sending you to the sons of israel to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me they and their fathers have transgressed against me to to this very day so there you have rebellious being translated as that that maraud right but it's also the pasha in parallel yeah um yeah it's in parallelism to um pashad but in, in that verse both are translated as rebel right um, well Right? No. Oh, no. transgressed. And, and, yeah. and their fathers, that's the parallelism. Right, right. Um, yeah, and then you have Marah. Mara. So the first one's Marah, this one's Mara. Um. And this also is translated as rebellion often. Psalm 78, 8, um, he says, and not be, uh, do not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Um. So that, again, is another synonym of Pasha, and then a final one would be Sarar, um, often translated as to be stubborn or rebellious, um, used as well in Psalm 78, eight, but translated here as stubborn. Um, So the first term is rebellious. He says, do not be like your fathers, a stubborn and rebellious nation. This term is translated as stubborn and do not be like your fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. Um, but the point to understand is that the four terms here are, are used oftentimes synonymously and very much carry that idea of spiritual high-handed rebellion. Um, you don't, in other words, accidentally commit one of these. Um, there's, there's intentionality there. It's overflowing from the spiritual state of your heart. Um, stubbornness and rebellion are, um, in fact, very good translations because they speak of the act
1: um, of acting actually in the face of knowing what's right before God. yeah, so you know you know what you should do, and you've gotten to the point now in your own heart that you don't care. that's right. that's really what it is. And so you've that's that that stubborn thing, right? Where you realize, wow, uh, even under threat of church discipline or being cut off from the people or whatever might be the context, it doesn't matter. I you know you're you're locked in and you're gonna do that act and that act by its very nature is one of rebellion. Mm-hmm. So and and the Lord in the old testament would deal with that quite vigorously, we'll put it that way. <laughs> right. Yeah. So then you have ma'al. Um you wanna Yeah, it, it, it means to act unfaithfully or treacherously, uh such as uh, Leviticus 2640. Um the term speaks of to the act of being spiritually or unfaithful, uh, spiritually adulterous. Um, This is an unfettered, even uglier form of unfaithfulness. It it isn't so much a one-time act or sin, but more so speaks to the characteristic of a lifestyle. There's this great sense of giving oneself over to sin, um, and that's where that spiritual adultery uh, comes in. It's not just this act. It's well, it's a hard attitude that then ultimately comes to fruition where you're you you you're cheating. Yeah. It's not what characterizes yeah. you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um in fact the cinnamon c- cinnamon. Uh, <laughs> I'm so tired. Yeah, we're, both, we're,
1: we're I'm I think we're doing pretty good for us tired as we are. <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, the synonym to ma'al, um, which is the word you just said is uh bagad. You'll see this in Psalm 78, 57, Isaiah 24, 16. Uh, often translated as well as to act or to deal treacherously or faithlessly or even deceitfully. Um, And there there's planning, there's plotting. Um, Again, there's this high-handed intent here. You don't accidentally fall into this. Um, And again, the term functions to characterize a certain lifestyle. It's not speaking of that one-time act or where you perhaps fall into temptation on occasion, um, which is why, in fact, adultery is a very good translation because um, it, it's now speaking to that which characterizes you. This is a lifestyle. This is something you
1: perpetually right. live in and do. Right. And then you have a cove. It's um, most basic meaning. It just simply means to del, del, deal <laughs> treacherously. Uh, when it's in its adjectival form, uh, it means an insidiousness or a being deceitful. And the key passage, homotologically speaking, would be Jeremiah seventeen nine, that so many people know well, uh, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick, who can understand it? But it's also interesting because it's a root that's found in the name Jacob, and so his deceitful character can help fill up the sense of that. If So if you're like, so what's that look like? Well, just look at the life of Jacob <laughs> in his early years, and yeah. you, you get that. Right, right.
0: Um, then you have uh, hamas um, and this, this it, um, the, the active verb means to treat violently or to treat wrong. Um, the noun is usually translated as violence or wrong. Um, in the show notes, you can see the verbal forms and then also some references for that noun form. But the word carries the idea of, of building up wrong um, until it is nothing less than full on spiritual anarchy. Um, and, and that's very important, going to be very important for understanding the nature of sin at times, um, which we're going to develop later. It is right. not an accidental no. thing. Um, and then, Aven.
1: Uh, trouble, sorrow, wickedness would be uh, translations like in Genesis thirty-five eighteen. Um, it's often associated with the ideas of deception or fraud, as well as the consequences of idolatry. Uh, so the proverbs like to use it. Um, in Proverbs six twelve, it says, "A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a false mouth," or uh, in verse eighteen of the same chapter, "A heart that devises wicked plans." Feet that run rapidly to evil. So, um, just just a wicked, deceitful, vileness.
0: Yeah. By the way, I like Proverbs six twelve because it says a worthless man, a wicked man. I actually used that when I was talking to a pastor friend a couple weeks ago, and I got corrected because I wasn't seeing the imago dei enough in the in a person. <laughs> and because I called him a worthless person. He's like, well, it's not worthless. His life still has. And I'm like, I'm using it in the proverbial
1: sense. There are <laughs> worthless people. The Bible says it multiple times, actually. Yeah. yeah. And and it, you're right, there is the imago Dei in the that person, but that doesn't make them, therefore, somehow. Yeah, uh, I, I guess the point is that on the day of judgment, if they are not in Christ, that imago day is going to descend into the depths of hell right. for all eternity. So, yeah. deal with it however you want. He's not going to say that he was a, well, you have my image, so never mm-hmm. mind. Anyway, you know. it has nothing to do with
0: this. But yeah. um, <laughs> And then you have a sham, uh, a sham, to be guilty, to offend, Numbers 5, 6, 2 uh, Chronicles nineteen ten. 10. Um, here from the theological workbook of the Old Testament. It says, the primary meaning of the word seems to center on the guilt, but moves from the act which brings guilt to the condition of guilt to the act of punishment. In particular, in any particular passage, it is often difficult to determine which thrust the word has. Um, in other words, is it is it talking about your guilt that you've borne from your sin, or is it going to be talking about the punishment that you're now incurring because of that guilt from your sin? Um, Girdle Stone and his synonyms... States.
1: Which is, yeah, I thought it was girdle stone, not dirtle with a D. We have to go back and fix those in the show notes. Oh, I guess I, I thought so, but I thought, well, maybe I'm wrong. Oh. It's been a, like years. <laughs> um, what did I say, girdle No, with a D, dirtle song. Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. My bad. Okay. Um, frequently, in, he says, it implies a breach of commandment wrought without due consideration and which, when brought to the notice of the offender, calls for amends or atonement. Um, so, that's that, asham. Um, and then you have the word group
1: that's connected to the root of avon. Okay, so, to bend, twist, destroy, uh, distort is a basic meaning. And when used in moral context, it takes on the idea to pervert or to make crooked. Um so it's normally translated as iniquity, speaks to the perversity of one's way in uh, ways in Jeremiah 14:10, such as. In the theological word book, again, it says, this word also helps us see that there is a remarkable ambivalence, which simply means uncertainty or indecisiveness between sin as an act and the penalty of sin, showing that the thought of the Old Testament, Uh, sin and its penalty are not radically separate notions. Uh, They're really tightly connected. Um, Now, there's many more terms in the Old Testament that relate to the subject of homardiology. Uh, Often they are in the form of figures of speech, though. Um, The end result of all of this becomes a very extensive and very full picture of the reality in presence of sin in man, and so we have in our show notes some key texts that will take all of these terms that we just used and put them all together. So uh, Psalm thirty-two, Psalm fifty-one, etc. So look at the show notes at, if you want to go deeper into this. Yeah. So that's our initial word
0: study. Yeah. Um, maybe not the most scintillating stuff, but all good theology should begin with at least a decent lexical study. Yep.
1: Um, well, I, I think, I hope that, that our listeners are figuring that out, that there's, it's easy and fun to talk about the exciting aspects, but if you don't lay down good foundation, then it just becomes really just opinion, um, we're, you know, theology didn't spring from nowhere. <laughs> right? And so, it requires us to do the hard work, and it's bad if our listeners say, well, you guys do the hard work, we don't want to hear it, um, because that just dooms them then to never being able to grow themselves in their understanding. So, hopefully, they're seeing the value of listening to this and trying to grasp the fullness of what's taking place and hopefully even change the way they read their Bibles. So, yeah. Um, so
0: that's Old Testament. Next time we'll do the same with the New Testament uh, and then try and develop the doctrine a little bit itself. Um, we'll, we'll see the essence of sin, um, what it truly is before God. We're going to see how it works itself out in the life of people and in this world. Um, but again, it's such an important doctrine and one that informs so much of a proper biblical worldview, and, and so you're not gonna have a full or right biblical perspective if you're not first understanding sin. Um, much of what plagues this world, but especially in the modern church, is the result of a failed homardiology. Um Wherever a weak hemardiology exists, we would argue a weak church probably exists, and beyond that, where a weak hemardiology exists, therefore a weak gospel will likely exist. Right. So again, massively important doctrine, and Lord willing, we'll continue it next time. Uh, But until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation, let us know what you think about the nature of sin, and don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and tell all your friends.